For today's opening sponsored section, a quick horror story brought to you by Riverside. My first ever podcast was for a former employer, a VC firm, and when I finally convinced my three bosses, the partners, to greenlight my very first podcast idea, it was a big deal. The stakes only got higher during the first interview, too, because the partners had asked one of the most successful, busy CEOs we'd invested in for his precious time, spend time with me, a novice podcaster. What could go wrong? Well, the interview itself went great. But afterwards is where things went wrong. I opened the audio and it was a disaster. All kinds of weird drops and robo voices. Entire sections were unusable. And why? Because I was using tools built for conference calls, not show production. Big mistake. Today, I avoid the stress because I use Riverside, both for Unthinkable and all my shows. Riverside is the easiest way to record podcasts and video in studio quality, all from your browser from anywhere in the world. Plus, you can even clip your content for social media right from their platform. Plans start at just eight bucks a month, and you can try their tools for free to get started. Visit riverside.fm to learn more. Hey, it's Jay, and it's time for another one shot. These are the short form monologue episodes that I run that complements the every other week narratives or larger productions, and it all has one purpose in mind to help us understand how resonance works. How do we create work that resonates more deeply? How do we build something that others consider their favorite and also that we love creating too? How do we use resonance to connect more deeply, to build our businesses, grow our careers, and leave our legacies? Today's one shot is titled, What You Need to Know About Rocky. One of the most iconic scenes in the movie Rocky involves the first date between the main character, his, his name is Rocky, and his love interest, Adrian. The couple visits a hockey rink, and Adrian goes skating while Rocky jogs alongside her on the ice. The entire time, he's talking breathlessly about boxing, while every so often he catches Adrian before she slips. It's not an overly dramatic scene, and it wasn't filmed in our modern era of gratuitous editing and music scoring, but the scene just works. In fact, it's one of the film's more famous moments. The thing is, in the original script, the scene was supposed to take place in a very different location, the rink at Rockefeller Center in New York City. Now, if you're unfamiliar, that spot is a very popular tourist attraction thanks to both the rink and the giant Christmas tree that goes up there every single year. It's also a very popular movie setting, appearing in a lot of films, including Home Alone 2 and my personal favorite holiday story, Elf. Unsurprisingly, the writers of Rocky wanted to shoot the ice skating rink at Rockefeller Center for the scene, except they couldn't afford it. Additionally, the date night scene between Rocky and Adrian was supposed to feature dozens of extras, all kinds of background actors swirling around the two characters as they skated and talked except they couldn't afford them. In the end, they were forced to shoot in a local hockey rink so run down it was closed to the public without any extras, aside from one guy who kept shouting to the characters to warn them when they needed to get off the ice. Seven more minutes! The original script called for a big, intricately decorated location pulsing with people. The actual scene was shot in a sad, dinky rink with just one other bit character. But this unexpected forced turn led to one of the most iconic scenes from one of the most iconic films in history. I'm reminded once again of a truth that we seem to fight in our work. 
creativity requires resourcefulness, not resources. Don't get me wrong, resources are nice, but resourcefulness is necessary. It's not how much time and money that we have that determines whether or not the work resonates with others, but rather how we choose to invest the time and money we have. As John Cleese of Monty Python fame loves to say, creativity is not a talent, it's a way of operating. And we bring that same way of operating to our work, whether we have five hours or 50, $10 or 10 million. We might want to consider ourselves opportunists or maybe even idea junkers. We go picking through all kinds of scraps, searching in the nooks and crannies of our surroundings when we just don't have enough resources that we would like to use in our work. We dumpster dive for any and all material that we can test out and what others overlook, we put to good use. Would it feel nice to have more budget and time? Of course. But an increase in resources also means an increase in stakes. The only way we'd feel more at ease is if, magically, we receive more money and time without any corresponding increased expectations. Has that ever happened in the history of making anything commercial? I can't be certain, but I don't think so. I'm pretty sure the answer is a resounding no. Zero times in history, I'm guessing, has more resources meant lower stakes. And that's why nobody ever at any organization thinks they have plenty to work with. Not the makers of cult classics while they shoot their films, you know, before the cult and before they're considered classics. Not the team over at Marvel Studios. Turns out that a mountain of money still feels pretty small when you're asked to dominate the entire globe. No, as creative people, we will always feel like idea junkers. Creative scrappers forced to do too much with too little, even if we have a fancy logo on our company headquarters. The story of great creative work is the story of how an individual or team deployed their brains, not their budgets. They relied more on resourcefulness than resources. Despite the constraints that they often felt were unreasonable or unjust, they found a way. Even if you don't want to embrace this idea, I'd ask you, what about your work might get better if you did? If you want to write amazing stories in your blog posts, but you feel stuck shipping basic how-to articles, fine. Can you open the next article you write with a delightful short story or memory? What if you did that every single time for weeks or months or years? How might that evolve the work towards something better, towards the amazing stories that you envision creating, but your resource constraints currently disallow you from writing? You want to shoot videos in a professional studio, but you're stuck in this dingy office? I get it. Is there any unintentional humor that you can find in your own situation that, if you leaned into it or even made a parody of it, would help the audience feel seen or relate to you on a more human level? Because they're going through it too, or they can appreciate that you are. Do you want to produce immersive narrative podcasts, but you're stuck without any production support or editing time? I totally hear that. So what if you segmented your next interview so it transformed from basic and open-ended into something beautifully structured? What if you narrowed your show's premise so that each moment you did capture in audio, every second of time you could allow to the interview, yielded something far more original and gripping and moving? What can we all steal from others? How can we play with form and function, style and tone, segmentation and story, all in the tiny pockets, chewing in on the margins 
despite our constraints, such that the resulting project might take the same number of hours to produce something that feels much better. I'm reminded of working at a small software startup of 13 people. It was about 2011. My job was to create gamified content, quizzes and puzzles and other really lo-fi interactive experiences. To create those things, the engineering team at the company had built a handful of very simple modules that I could control with my team in an internal dashboard to build our content. What we wanted to feel like was Neo in the Matrix, controlling the very fabric of our website's reality. What we got were a couple of plastic bricks to build with and knock against each other. In this analogy, these bricks didn't even have those like little Lego teeth that let the blocks snap together. It was just a bunch of smooth digital bricks and us sitting there whacking them on their sides. Look at us. We're creative. But honestly, once we stopped fighting against our limited engineering resources and we turned our sights to the mess of crude and smooth pieces, it was amazing what my team and I could build. We turned quizzes into dialogues with the audience. Simple drag-and-drop puzzles became narratives. We made the games shorter and longer, played with the themes and topics. The copywriting turned from basic instructions into a character, like an expert dungeon master during a game of Dungeons & Dragons. Limited resources plus optimistic resourcefulness equaled unlimited creativity. Viewing our work right now, the cynic might say, we polish turds. But I think we pan for gold. We sift through piles of dirt and rubble and silt to find these golden little qualities previously hidden from view, and then we put those on display. Now, Lord knows, I want creative people to be paid what they're worth. But once you get beyond what we're paid, when we turn our sights to our budgets and our timelines and our people power, and we feel disappointed, what then? Does that mean we're destined to create worse work forever? I don't think so. I think we can iterate our way towards something deeply resonant. Sometimes, iterating on ideas, drafts, or even actual shipped work can lead us in an entirely new direction. The filmmakers behind Rocky definitely made other choices thanks to the rink scene, informed and inspired by that scene, that then created an entirely different movie in look and feel. And in this way, iterating off of a constrained base can be like uncovering new fruitful paths that we never would have considered before. So the rink is crappy? Ugh, well, that sucks. But let's make the best of it and then see where else that can take us. Other times, iterating on our ideas and projects can march us incrementally towards our original vision. We don't find a new path so much as keep going down the one we're on productively. You might start out feeling too constrained, like a driven writer who's stuck writing yet another basic how-to blog post. But then the next draft turns into a basic how-to blog post with a better opening anecdote. The better opening anecdote leads to future better openings. Before long, that writer is known for having the most delightful ways of teaching these basic how-tos, from the opening to the paragraphs to the close. If you extrapolate that out even further, now they're an inspiring voice in a saturated and dry space, presenting ideas in gripping ways that fundamentally change how people do their work or see this world. Call me an idealist because, yes, I'm an idealist, but I think we can manifest the work that we want to create into this world. 
But that process begins with public action, not private brainstorms, and definitely not privately stewing in our own frustrations. Yearning for better things is far less effective than creating them. We both, you and I, we wish we had more or better right now. You feel it, and I feel it too. I really do. But the more we're willing to work within the confines we're given or that we experience today, the better we create a better tomorrow. We can cook something amazing despite the ingredients we have. After all, in the food world, some of the best dishes are what were once considered peasant food, simple cast-off ingredients cooked just the right way so that the flavor of the bones and the scraps of the meat and the overlooked vegetable parts meld into something surprising. The whole tastes far more delicious than any of the parts. That is our work. We don't need to run fine dining restaurants to cook food. That's fine. And by the way, uh, that's fine as in like, damn, you foin. Not fine as in meh. But you, know, you, you got that. We don't need to run fine dining restaurants to cook food. That's fine. Our work is about iterating, making improvised improvements based on the constraints that we experience and the aspirations we have. So, jump in the tiny box, then innovate inside it. Make a version, then make the next one better. Accept that the setting does not match the script, but shoot the hell out of it anyway. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was written and edited by me, Jay Akunzo, with production support from Ilana Nevins. If you had any thoughts or questions on the episode, this show, or my work overall, email me. I'm jay at unthinkablemedia.com. I'm also at Jay Akunzo on Twitter. I write, speak, give workshops, and create shows that help brands elevate their creativity, do better work, and resonate deeper with their audience. As an independent creator, I rely on the support of listeners like you to keep this show going. Every time you share the show, leave a review, or purchase a book or my podcasting course from my website, I'm able to keep going. So thank you for your listenership, and I literally couldn't do this without you taking a very active role in supporting. Thank you once again. If you're looking for an easy first step to extend your support, consider joining my free newsletter. It's called Playing Favorites, and every Friday I send something very similar to the one-shots where we describe a scenario or anecdote or I recount an observation from my perspective about creating resonant work, and that complements the stories from others' perspectives here on this show. You can join thousands of subscribers from brands like the New York Times, the BBC, Adobe, Salesforce, and Red Bull, and more, plus plenty of entrepreneurs, marketers, freelancers, and independent creators, all of whom get these emails. Visit jayaconzo.com to subscribe or buy a book or a course or check your show notes to learn more about my projects. I'm back next week with a new episode of the show. Until then, keep making what matters. See ya. This episode was sponsored by Riverside. Trivia question about this show for you. I've interviewed more than 200 individuals for about 150 original stories for Unthinkable. How many of those people do you think were interviewed in person, face-to-face? The answer? Seven. Yeah, seven. 
the rest were done virtually. I learned that you can actually build rapport virtually with your guests the way you can in person and record studio quality audio remotely and create what I think and, and I hope that you can agree is a slightly above average sounding show. You can do all that virtually. And I use Riverside to do it. Riverside lets you record both audio and video interviews. You get separate tracks recorded and they don't use the same technologies, in other words, voice over IP used by Zoom or Skype that creates all those problems and robo voices and drops. Instead, each track comes without any of that. Plans start at eight bucks a month and it's great for novice podcasters or the resource constrained, but they're so powerful that even brands like Marvel, the New York Times, Spotify, Ted, shows like How I Built This and Gary Vee's podcast all use Riverside too. Learn more at riverside.fm.